This morning, I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 19 this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, that'll be page uh, 1007, all right? 1007 in the Bibles that we provided for you there in the rows. Well, I have really enjoyed this Rhythms series, and I hope you have as well. And I hope that even if you missed the first few weeks, that you will take some time uh, to jump online and catch up with where we've been, because we really believe that it's through the ordinary means of grace. We can't say this enough. The ordinary means of grace that God has given us that he does his extraordinary work in our lives. So this is how he renews us by his work in the gospel. So that's why we have been trekking through what does it look like to establish some healthy rhythms in our life as we looked at the first week, working out our salvation with fear and trembling as God works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we say, okay, so how do we do this? Well, uh, the next week we looked at what it means to get in the word, establishing the rhythm of the word, meditating on the word day and night, making that a regular rhythm in your life. Last week, John brought a great message on what it looks like to cultivate a healthy prayer life. I'm sure we all pray, but, but what does our prayer life look like and how can we strengthen it to see God continue to work more and more in us? And now this week we're going to look at, as John introduced earlier, the rhythm of community. Did you know that you were made for community? Your life was given not to be spent in isolation, away from others, withdrawing from other people, but your life was given that you might be in relationship, both first and foremost with the God who made you, and then also with others. We see this in the very beginning of the Bible. God made us for community because God is a communal or a relational God. So God exists, we know. He is the triune God. There is one God, he exists eternally in three persons. So Father, Son, Spirit, they are God, the Godhead, and they have always related to one another in perfect mutual love. And so we, as those who are made in God's image, just as he is a relational God, he has made us with a great capacity for relationality, to know him, to relate to him, and to know and relate to others. Now, what's the problem? That's Genesis 1. What does Genesis 3 tell us? Genesis 3 tells us that it was our longing to step out of community with God that got us into this whole mess that we're in now. You see, Adam and Eve, they deviated from God's standard, God's command. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And essentially, what they did was they said, hey, God, you know what? We have it under control. Let us not live under your your gracious rule and reign, but Let us seek our own autonomy, our own individualistic sense of what is right and wrong, and we're going to do our own thing. And when they did their own thing, that's when sin entered the world, and that's when our relationship, both with God and with one another, became immediately broken. And the consequences of that sin have been felt ever since the fall. 
So now we don't relate to God naturally. We don't have fellowship with God naturally. And we don't have fellowship with one another like God intended in the beginning. So even though we have this desire for relationship because we're made in God's image, okay, that's why most of us don't want to just go to a secluded island. Okay, an island sounds good, but like by yourself on that island, that's, that's probably not a great, a great life to be spent, right? Because God made us for community. But even though we desire that, we often withdraw. We often isolate ourselves. Though we have often seek to depend on, on God. We, 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 we try to go our own way, right? We, 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 in the words of Frank Sinatra's famous song, we want to do it our way, right? And so this is a predicament. Sociologists would tell us that we live in one of the most individualistic cultures the world has ever known. And so what are we, what are we to do about this? If God made us for himself, if he made us for relationship, if he made us for community, and yet we are prone to going our own way and disconnecting from others, and we have brokenness in our relationship with God and with one another, then what are we to do about this? Well, here's the news of the gospel, the Bible. What, what God has to say about this is that the remedy is not in ourselves, what we can do. The remedy is actually in God's provision. This is why God sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to die on a Roman cross, that he might restore our relationship with God where our sin has separated us from God. Christ bridges the gap for all who look to him in faith can have their relationship with God restored. And it not only reorients our relationship with God, it also changes and revolutionizes our relationship, not only with God, but also with God one another. And this is one of the primary features of our passage this morning in Hebrews 10. Why don't you look at me at, with me at Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. I want to read all six of these verses. Starting in 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Christians who had come out of Judaism and were experiencing persecution. And so the writer of Hebrews is penning this very, what we would probably say is a long letter. He calls it a brief word of exhortation in chapter 13, verse 22. We would say it's a pretty long letter, uh, writer of Hebrews, Mr. Writer of Hebrews. Um, but nevertheless, he writes this to encourage them to not fall back 
in the faith, but to press on, to push forward. So his message for doing that to encourage them is to say again and again and again, Christ is better. Jesus is superior. He's worth it. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's a true and better Moses. He's the great high priest. He's the superior sacrifice. And on and on and on we could go. You just read chapter one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I mean, it's just Jesus is better, 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 better. And then he gets to chapter 10 and he um, explodes into this kind of practical encouragement, exhortation section. But again, as we read in verses 19 through 21, it's all grounded in the gospel. Look back at it. It says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how can we enter the holy places? We kind of need to understand the Old Testament to understand what he's saying here, okay? So in the temple, you had the holy place where, where the priest would enter in, but only the great high priest, the high priest could enter the, the holy of holies, the most holy place. And there was a great curtain, a thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And the high priest could only go in there one time a year to offer sacrifice on behalf of himself, which Jesus had no need to do, by the way, because he was sinless, but that's earlier in Hebrews. The great high priest had to offer sin for himself and for that of the people. But so now what, what happens because of the blood of Christ, because of the sacrifice of Christ, is that there is a new and living way opened up through his body, through his death, by his blood that he shed for us. Now the veil of the curtain has been ripped in two and we can enter into the very presence of God. That's really good news. So because of the work of Jesus, now it says we can have confidence. And that's why his first exhortation then in verse 22 is, let us draw near to God with a true heart. Jesus' work allows us to draw near to God. And this drawing near is not just once for salvation to get our ticket to heaven punched, but it's to draw near to him again and again and again. This is why we're talking about rhythms of grace. And notice that it says, draw near with full assurance, okay? So I know that sometimes Christians can doubt if they're truly in the faith. They can lack assurance of their salvation. And perhaps this is, has been you in the past or maybe it's you now. And I want to tell you one of the best remedies for really whatever ails us in life, but particularly when it comes to having assurance of faith, is to continue to look back to Christ. Because let me ask you, who saved you? Where did salvation come from? Thank you. Thank you, Quentin. All right, that's my boy right here. This is his first son, and he's already giving me the right answers, okay? It's Jesus, okay? God is the one who saved us. So my salvation comes not from myself, but from him. So what I need to do is just look back to Christ and look back to his work on the cross and know that my assurance is found there, not in what I can do, not in how I feel. So Robert Murray McShane has this really great quote. He says, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. So this is the cure, I believe, the primary cure, not only for assurance of salvation, but also for depression. Why are you depressed? Why do people get depressed? It's because they are really, fundamentally, they're focused on themselves. 
They're focused on their circumstances. They're, I mean, I'm not trying to simplify it too much, but at the root of, of the sin of depression and the, and the reality of depression, you have a self-focus at work. Whereas if we would look to Christ, it's going to take our eyes off ourselves, and it's going to give us confidence again. It's going to put our perspective in the right place. So he says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now, we don't have a conscience that plagues us and and points out how wrong we've been and how we're unworthy of God, but we actually have a conscience that is clean, that has been purified, that says we can step in and be right with God. And then he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And why can we do this? Why can we have such a great hope? It's because God is faithful. He who promised is faithful. And so I hope you see in these early verses that all of these exhortations are grounded in the work of the gospel. Again, this is why we are a gospel-centered church. This is why we say the gospel drives everything we do and we center everything around the gospel. Because the gospel changes our relationship with God, but then also, and where we're going to camp out today and focus, it changes our relationship with one another. And so as we continue this journey in our rhythm series, I want to encourage us to experience the grace of God through the rhythm of community with the people of God. Experience the grace of God through the rhythm of community with the people of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, uh, number one, I want to give us three ways. Number one, consider one another with the goal of motivating toward love and action, okay? So look now again at Hebrews 10, 24. What does it say? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, That's the ESV. I want to give you several translations. I want you to note how the language is modified in different translations, okay? Because they they help us get a sense of what this should look like, okay? So so the, the ESV said to stir one another up. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. The NIV says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Okay, so there's another picture, another, we are spurring one another on to love and good works. The NASB says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The NLT, the New Living Translation says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And then the King James, all right? The King James says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Now, a little, a little, lesson in in the original language, okay? The King James actually translates this verse the best, all right? Now, we don't use the King, King James because we have an updated version, and it's a little more readable in English, okay? And it's we believe even more accurate and readable. So some people say King James only. It's the only Bible you can read. We don't believe that at all here. And we don't think there's a problem with the King James, all right? But we, we uh, use the ESV for its accuracy and readability, okay? And Sorry to give you a little lesson. Um, there have been more manuscripts that have been uncovered since 1611, and so it's cleared up a word or two here. It's nothing to undermine the King James. It's just helped us be able to have a little more accuracy and readability in the Bible, okay? 
but, but the King James gets it right here, okay? It, makes, it doesn't make for great English. Consider one another to provoke. I mean, does anyone talk like that? Does that sound very smooth? Probably not, all right? But the emphasis is on considering one another, okay? You see that? So, so the emphasis in the other translations, although making it a little smoother, say consider how to stir one another up or provoke one another or motivate one another or spur one another on, all right? But, but the, the start needs to be to consider one another first and then figure out how to motivate one another to love and good work. So this word consider, it means to notice, to pay attention to. We could say we need to rivet our attention on one another. It has a bit of a scientific feel. So for you scientists out there, you know the value of making careful, microscopic observations on that which you're studying or maybe trying to develop. And so it's a similar idea that we would... uh, pay attention closely to one another. We would know one another well enough so that we can then know how to encourage one another and provoke one another to love and good deeds. Then the words one another carry the idea of mutuality or reciprocity. Okay, so, so in other words, it's not a one-sided equation in the Christian life, okay? We, are tend, we tend, again, because of our selfishness and our fallenness, we tend to just kind of want to receive, right? You love me, you care for me, how about you pray for me? Uh, anybody want to serve me? I've got some needs, you know, and this is like, you know, we just want to kind of, it goes like this, but, but the Christian life in the New Testament, there are all these one another commands that say it's not only about receiving, but it's also even better, Jesus says, more blessed to give than receive, all right? So kids, pay attention to this when you get home today and your mom asks you to do something. It's about giving back. It's reciprocal in a true and good relationship, right? What a great word for for marriages out there and and roommates and and all of that. Now, when we read the New Testament, we find all of these one another commands, like love one another, like serve one another, like pray for one another, like bear one another's burdens, forgive, bear with, encourage, be kind, teach and admonish, build up, live in peace with one another. So I want you just to look around just for a moment, okay? You don't have to do like 360s or anything. Just kind of glance around in the corner of your eye, see these people around you, okay? You are responsible for them. And they are responsible for you. This is the idea of the New Testament. And what happens when we live like this? What happens when we do this? Well, we are changed. We're built up. We grow. The community of Jesus begins to look a lot more like Jesus when we really live out the one another commands of Scripture. So let me ask you, do you care? Do you care how your brothers and sisters in Christ are doing spiritually? Do you take time to consider it? Do you take time to pray for them? Do you take time to reach out? We should constantly want to see not only our own lives flourish in God and grow in grace, but we should want our brother and sister to grow in the grace of God as well. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. 
So, so, so just to put it in very blunt terms, okay, just like we sometimes read in the, in the New Testament where Paul is using very strong language, and even Jesus at times, they might say something like this. If you live your life in isolation, away from other Christians, you are a fool. You're a fool. You break out against all sound judgment. So we need one another. The, the community of faith is a gracious gift from God. It's a means of grace by which we can strengthen one another and build one another up. I went out to California when I was a, a, almost a junior in high school, okay? My family took a family vacation out to San Francisco. And we had a really great time out there. Uh, San Francisco is such a unique city. And uh, just outside of San Francisco, there is the Muir Woods National Monument or National Park. I don't know if anyone's ever been there, but they have these unbelievably huge, massive, tall trees called redwoods, okay? And, and redwoods are the tallest trees in the world. I think we have a couple pictures here you can see. Um, the giant sequoia can reach heights of 311 feet, all right, with a diameter around the trunk of up to 40 feet. 40 feet. The tallest uh, species of, 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 of the redwoods is called the coast redwood. It can grow even taller, reaching up to 370 feet tall with a diameter of 22 feet. I mean, it's simply amazing. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, these trees, they must have roots that reach hundreds of feet into the ground. I mean, if they can tower, I mean, has anyone ever played football, run the league, John's a football player, anyone play football 300, 300 feet, that's 100 yards, okay, that's a pretty, I mean, we're talking longer than football fields here stretching high into the air. So surely they have roots that go down hundreds of feet. Well, if you're thinking that, you would be wrong. Redwoods have a very shallow root system, oftentimes only reaching, get this, five or six feet deep in the ground. So how do they tower over 300 feet in the air? Well, they can tower that high because their roots extend out sometimes up to 100 feet from the trunk and they interconnect with the other redwood trees. So their strength and their support is gained from the other trees. And this is a picture of what should be happening in the church of Jesus Christ. We need one another. We need the support of one another. We need the strength of one another. We need to interlock and connect and know one another and fulfill these one another commands. And so we must consider how to motivate one another toward love and good works. This is the goal, okay? We want to stir one another up to fulfill the greatest commandments, to love God and love one another. And when, when we live this out, okay, and this is one of the things I love about Christianity, by the way, is that it is a, it is a, 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 a religion that points us to action, all right? So God doesn't call us out to be his people just so we can kind of sit at home, chill out, and not do anything with our lives, okay? He wants, to, he wants us to, to be stirred up, to be motivated to action, to love and good works. And this is, this is another thing that I love about Redemption Hill that God's doing here. We are actively serving our community and people are taking notice of that. 
They want to be a part of something like that, that, that has life and vibrancy about it. And so we have great need to consider how to do this. Consider one another that we might motivate one another to love and good works. Now, number two, how do we do this? Well, really, that's the point of the sermon, okay? And then points two and three are just ways that we go about considering one another for the motivation of love and good deeds, okay? So number two, establish the rhythm of meeting together. You can see this in verse 25. It's a participle. How do we go about this? We, well, we don't neglect. Not neglecting to meet together is as is the habit of some, okay? So one of the natural outworkings of, of considering one another is doing life together and coming together to worship together, coming together to pray together and to serve together and to care for one another. We see in the Bible that God commands the gathering together of his people, okay? We looked at in the, the Gospel of Luke. We just finished the series through the Gospel of Luke. We started last September, actually. And we saw in chapter 4, verse uh, 16, it says that Jesus, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Okay, so Jesus, all right, that's, that's enough of an argument for me to come to church each weekend. If it was good enough for Jesus, then it probably should be good enough for me to, to worship with the people of God, to hear from his word, to sing together, to pray together, to encourage one another. But then even in Acts 2, we read earlier, I want to read it again because it's loaded with encouragements to do life together. It says, and they devoted themselves to fellowship, okay? This is um, mutual partnership and fellowship and, and sharing of life, okay? Uh, and, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, okay? Have you hung out in anyone's home lately in this church? If not, it would be a good suggestion to, you know, take some time tonight to consider how you can maybe make that happen, right? Because this is what was happening in the early church. This was the rhythm of the early church. Um, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And let's not miss this. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So we always want to see more and more people come to know the truth of Christ and experience the salvation that he alone can provide. And, and it might be a good question if we're not seeing that as much as we want to back up and say, well, how closely are we living out the example of the early church? You get it? So if we're really not devoted to one another, if we're really not meeting together and doing all of these things, maybe that's why we're not seeing more people come into the faith. It's not the only reason, but it perhaps is a reason. And so we see that worship is commanded. The gathering of God's people are, are, is, is a commanded action in the New Testament. And what usually happens with this, okay? I'm just going to be honest, all right, as a pastor. What usually happens when pastors preach this text is the sole application is to motivate people to come on Sundays, right? So attendance starts to drift a little bit. You know, you, you, you go through a little season where there are not as many people coming and the attendance is on the slide. And then, oh, let's preach Hebrews 10 so that we can tell everybody, oh, don't neglect to meet together. You see that? It's pretty good. Strategy, I guess, okay? Um, and, and, and I want to say, yes, that's embedded in this verse, but if we reduce this verse to only that, then we've totally missed it. 
The call to Christian community is not meant to be truncated to a gathering once a week, however significant that may be. I love what Paul Tripp says. He says, the Sunday celebration, okay, and this should be a celebration. Are you ever singing Jesus is alive? He's changed us. He's freed us. He's, I mean, all of this. I mean, if you're not a little bit excited about that, then let's just pray about it and, you know, come together and encourage one another and pray for one another because this is, this is something to be excited about, right? Okay? Sunday celebration Sorry. Sunday celebration should be, all right, here's the point, should be the continuation of intense community that is happening throughout the week. So when we come together, our fellowship and our community is enhanced because we have been doing life together throughout the week. We know what's going on in each other's lives. We've already been praying together. We've already been worshiping God together. And so we can't just say, oh, don't neglect to meet together. That means you need to attend church every single Sunday that you're in town, which is hopefully what most of you seek to do, okay? But it's it's so much more than that. It's getting together outside of church. It's it's, it's having each other into one another's home. It's it's, it's going out and, and, and playing together and exercising together and working on a project together. We have some people that are moving uh, in. College students are moving in, and so they need to reconnect with community. We have people that are moving into different homes, or uh, and so they need some help, and so do a project together. Serve together. Get into one another's lives. Another illustration I was taught was the, the analogy of a campfire. Have you heard this one? And, and so everyone, does anyone love a good campfire? It's a nice, maybe cool. I, mean, I, lo- I love that. Right? I haven't been camping a long time, but I love a good campfire. Maybe bring Mike. It would be better if Mike was there because he would bring his guitar. We could sing some songs. Somebody else needs to bring the marshmallows. Okay, you know, we're just having a great time at the campfire. And, uh, and so the illustration one is always each of our lives is like a log in the fire. And if you take the one log out, what happens? It cools down and it eventually goes out, right? The fire on that log will go out while the rest of the logs that are in the fire will stay alive and vibrant. And again, that was a, an illustration, an analogy of you need to stay in church each Sunday so that the fire can remain really hot in your life, okay? And that's not necessarily a bad illustration at all. It's a pretty good one. But what I want to do is twist it and make it a little better, okay? So I think what we need to say is we want to stay in Christian community and enhance it so that, man, now I need to call Dave sometime throughout this week, and I need to shoot Kevin a text, and I need to get coffee with Hoogsworth and that's not how you say his name, but that's what I call him sometimes. And, uh, and then I need to, you know, Facebook Michaela and see how she's doing. And I need to send a prayer request to Todd and pray for his church plan. And I need to check in with Logan and talk a little bit about football. Notre Dame football's coming up, you know, and that's great. But, you know, also, man, how are you loving Emily? Because I know sometimes you're not a very good husband, man. You need a lot of work. So, um, you know, and just that. And so what we're doing now is we're pulling, sorry, Logan, we're pulling in more logs to the fire that's getting all of us more intensely passionate and hot for for God. Get it? So, what rhythms can you establish in your life to cultivate this kind of biblical community? Is there anything that you can change? I mean, one thing that Marsha and I try to do, and I'm not a very good husband either because I don't don't lead us very well in this, but we try to 
at the beginning of every week, just, just talk about our week. We call it spouse sync, all right? We've borrowed that terminology from another uh, pastor. And so we try to sync up our lives, and so we talk about what's going on with our family. We talk about our plans for the week. We talk about our budget, all of these types of things. And, and so in our plans for our week, we want to see how can we spend some time? Do we have time this week to invite someone over or to make plans with someone in the life of our church? And then we also think about maybe some friends who don't know Christ, and we could spend some time with them. But there has to be intentionality there. There has to be a plan. Listen, if you don't plan your week, your day, your year even, your life, then what happens is the tyranny of the urgent just drowns out and we just do whatever is best at the time if we're not really intentional with how we're making our plans. So let's establish healthy rhythms of meeting together because when we do that, God's grace is in it. And he uses one another to build each other up in the faith so that we might live for him, glorify him, and become more and more like Christ. So let's get together. Let's not neglect meeting together so that we can experience this gracious rhythm of motivating one another to love and good deeds And then finally, he says very clearly at the end of verse 25, encourage one another increasingly in light of the end, in light of judgment day that is to come. So so again, check the the structure of these verses, okay? The the Bible is a a book, right? It's it's a piece of literature, and how the words and the sentences are, are phrased and structured together really matter. So the primary exhortation, again, is to consider how to stir one another up to loving good works. And how do we do that? Well, we don't neglect meeting together, but then also we encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, let me just go ahead and jump in and say, I hope that we want to be all the more kind of Christians and an all the more kind of church. So, so, so the idea is not that we would be stagnant and, you know, and give a little bit of encouragement here, maybe next month, you know, a little bit of encouragement, but the idea is that we would be growing in our intentionality and ability to know one another well enough that we're constantly giving out encouragement to one another to push each other forward in the faith. And this word encouragement, it comes from the Greek word parakaleo. It means, it's a compound word, para mean along, and kaleo to call out. So it's like to, to call alongside. It's like the, to come alongside someone and to put your arm around them and encourage them in the journey of life. The word for the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John is, is what we, we, we bring over to say paraclete. Okay, so the, the same idea, the, the encourager, the comforter, the counselor, that's the role, some of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit. It's the same, same uh, word, roots, there. And so is there anyone in this church that you're intentionally encouraging and also receiving encouragement from? We need to encourage one another when, when life gets hard, right? And, and how, do we, how do we encourage one another if we don't know what's going on in one another's life? 
Right? That's why it's so important to not neglect meeting together. So it takes time to get to know one another, to hear what's going on. And then when we know each other's sorrows and struggles and trials and temptations, then we can know how to encourage one another. As well as each other's interests and joys and victories and desires. We need to know both so that we can encourage one another when life gets hard and when life is going really, really well. In light of where we've been in this series, let me provide two simple, very simple, specific encouragements for how to go about this, all right? Number one, encourage others with the word. All right, so if we're establishing this rhythm of being in the word uh, daily and, and hearing from God, then it would be really wise and natural for us to take the word that we're receiving and allow that to, to so permeate our lives that we now are sharing the wisdom from God to our friends. We're speaking the word to one another. We're building one another up. Maybe we're, we're, we're not quoting the verse every time, but maybe it's as simple as shooting out a text message or, or putting it in an email. Hey, God taught me this. I think this might be an encouragement to you. Sometimes even when I'm doing my devotions in the morning, I, I can't even get to the end because I want to pick up my phone, shoot a verse out to, to some friends, some guys, so that, that they can have some encouragement for the start of their day. And I love to receive that from others. All right, I'm certainly not the only one that does that. It's giving and receiving. So encourage one another with the word. We want to speak words of wisdom, wise counsel, not our own ideas, but the truth of God and the wisdom of God. That's where solid encouragement is gonna come from. And then number two, very simple, encourage one another through prayer. Pray for others and pray with others. I'll tell you this very, very practically. I've never been prayed for by someone else, a brother or a sister in the faith, and then immediately thought, man, I wish they would not have taken the time to pray for me. What a, what a waste of time, man. Would you stop praying for me so much? I mean, I just have never had that reaction. And I don't think you will as well. And so, listen, practically, you know, it's okay, even if it's a little awkward, all right? It's okay that after the service, if someone's going on, hey, why don't we stop and pray together? John mentioned this last week. When you hang out in one another's homes, you know, it might be a little awkward. Okay, it's less awkward for me because I'm the pastor after all. But, you know, I mean, still, you know, hey, how about we pray for it together just for a minute? You know, a minute becomes 20 and who cares? You know, it's just like, but, but, but pray for one another when you get together. We need it. We need prayer. Encourage one another with the word. Encourage others through prayer. And then let me just say, some of you have the gift of encouragement, all right? This is a gift the Spirit gives to people, okay? It doesn't exempt the rest of us from not encouraging one another, just as some people have the gift of evangelism. And, we, and some people might say, well, then if I don't have the gift, then I'm not responsible to, to evangelize, or I don't have the gift of mercy, so I'm not going to be merciful. I'm not gift of generosity, so I'm not going to give, okay? It doesn't work like that, all right? But some people are, are, are more gifted by the Spirit to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, and that can be an encouragement to the rest of us who maybe don't have as much strength in that area. Does that make sense? So if, if that's you and you have the gift of encouragement, then exercise your gift and be in a great example to the rest of us. I can tell you this, there, every time we send out an update to our supporters to keep them posted on what God has been doing in Medford, churches, people, friends that have been praying for us for the past three and a half years, every time we send it out, okay, it goes out to about 800 people, there are always 
two ladies that email us back as soon as they get the email. Always two. Carrie Armstrong, Christy Bible. Yes, her last name is Bible, right? They're some of our good friends. Um, but they, they just say, man, that's awesome. That's so exciting to hear. We're praying for you. I, I, I really believe these two women have the gift of encouragement. It just comes out. It's just natural. And so if you have the gift, exercise the gift. If you don't maybe have as much strength in that area, see others that do and emulate them. Because this is the ministry of example that should go on in the church. When we do life together, this is how we encourage one another. So when Mike is out sharing the gift, you don't know Mike, Mike loves to share the gospel, right? He's got the gospel like tattooed all over his body and stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, Mike shares the gospel. And you know what that does? When I'm with Mike, that makes me want to go share the gospel. When someone is compassionate and they exercise that gift of compassion, it makes me want to be more compassionate and merciful toward others. And on and on we could go. When I see generosity in someone else, it makes me think, man, am I being stingy? Could I be more generous with what God has blessed me with? And so let's encourage one another daily. So how well do you encourage others And maybe the tougher question is, how well do you receive encouragement from others? If we're being honest, we would all much rather receive words of flattery. Oh, you're so great. Look how awesome you are. Man, that was a great job. You have it all together. Man, I should come to you for all the answers because you have them. You know, that type of thing. You know, we all love that. But the reality is we need to receive words of encouragement because we don't have it all together. So so Paul Tripp says we need two ingredients to really live in biblical community with one another. He says the first is the humility of approachability. All right? The humility of approachability. In other words, we have to be open enough. We have to open ourselves up to people and have the humility to say, I don't have it all together and I need your words of encouragement to stir me up, to spur me on, to motivate me to a life that looks like Jesus more than it does today. But it takes humility, right? Sometimes encouragement is very easy to receive. Hey, you're doing a great job, keep it up. And sometimes the encouraging word needs to be, man, I don't know what you were thinking there. How about we reevaluate that and, and go about it a different way? And so it takes a little more humility to receive that. God has placed us in one another's lives that we might receive and give it, but we have to be humble and approachable. And then number two, not only do we need the humility of approachability, we also need the courage of loving honesty. So again, it's not just receiving it, but it's also having the courage at times to go to a brother or sister and say, hey, I've been thinking about this. I want you to think about it with me (laughs) and to offer an encouraging word. Community is always a two-way street, okay? And this is what I like about community. Biblical community is about outward facing, all right? A lot of times, I just know, 
because we live in a consumeristic culture. Would everyone agree? All right, but just bombarded with advertisement. And I mean, just, this, is, this is the culture we live in. And so we carry over this consumeristic mentality into our church life. And so we come to a church not so much for what we can give to the church, but what for the, the church can give to us. And then we join a small group, not so much for what we can bring to the table, but what for that small group might do for us. And this is our bent, right? But what we want to do is is think, okay, yes, worship is an encouragement to me. And yes, community group is an encouragement to me, but we also want to give as well. So someone has said that there are basically three types of people in the world, okay? There are takers, and they say, what's yours is mine, and I am going to take it. There are also keepers who say, what's mine is mine, and I am going to keep it. But then there are givers. You know what givers say? What's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. What happens if we start living like this as a church? What's mine is yours. My time is yours. My uh, resources are yours. My food is yours. My wisdom is yours. Let's be a church of givers. Let's come on Sundays and jump into a community group so that we can give to build others up. And Jesus said it so well. If you do that, it's more blessed to give than receive. You're going to be blessed by the giving. You're going to be built up in Christ as you give yourself away. So here's my final exhortation or word of encouragement today. All right? To to live this out. Here are just two practical steps, and you've heard a lot of practical steps already as we've been jumping through the text, working through the text. I don't want to jump, walk through the text. All right, two great steps toward deeper community. Number one, join this church through pursuing membership. Okay, now I don't have time to give a a diatribe on the value of church membership and the validity of church membership. I know that some of you might say, well, that's not in the Bible, like explicitly, and that there's no verse like, you know, 1 John 7, 22 that says, join the church through church membership, okay? There's not seven chapters in John, by the way, 1 John. But I would say, and I would argue, that it is implicit throughout the New Testament. So if you, just, if you don't think it's biblical, just let's talk because I would say absolutely it's implied throughout and it is absolutely biblical. But let me give you a few practical reasons for wanting to join this family. When we talk about church membership, you've probably heard us say it before at Redemption Hill. We're talking about joining a family and joining a mission. All right? And here are just a few practical outworkings of what it means to be in the membership family of Redemption Hill, okay? So this is not to, to hate on anyone, that's, especially if you're new and you're just now figuring out about our church. Okay, we don't expect people to join like the first week. In fact, it's really hard because you have to attend a connections class first, all right? I know that's the hang-up for some of you. You've just been out of town and maybe missed that. But the idea is that we would come together and commit to one another. That's what membership is really all about. It's saying, help me grow in my faith. I'm committed to this family and this mission. All right, so, so why join this church? Let me give you three reasons. Okay, families make family decisions. All right, so if you want to know very practically what does membership mean at Redemption Hill? Well, it, it means that we make decisions together as a family. 
You may think that John and I rule the church, that we run the church because we're pastors. Well, on the major decisions, it takes a membership affirmation, okay? We're actually ruled by the congregation, not by our leaders. So our budget, even though we as leaders, every year we take the lead on presenting a budget, we present the budget to our members and the members look it over and they say, yeah, we think this is great or, well, why are we doing this? Maybe we can make a little change here. So ultimately the authority resides in the membership of our church. When we add elders and deacons in the future, it will be our members who affirm those decisions and vote on those, okay? Even if the, the pastors are taking the lead in, in the beginning. So families make family decisions. Uh, number two, families, uh, family members have greater responsibility, all right, so, so we expect more from our members and we actually give them more responsibility. So if you look at leadership positions in our church, they're going to be given to people who are members. And you say, well, well, that's not fair. That's not cool. Well, we want to know that people have the same kind of beliefs. They're committed. They're not going anywhere and they're on board with the mission. Okay, it's just it's simple. So family members have greater responsibility and family members receive greater investment. John gave the great example last week. He pulled out his Bible and he said, this is everyone in my community group that I pray for regularly. This is all of our members of a church and this is who I'm gonna pray for regularly. And it's not that we don't love anyone who's not a member. In fact, if you've been around Redemption Hill and you're not a member, you know that we love you just as much as everyone else. I hope that that's true. I mean, we're spending time and we're going out and we're emailing and we're keeping up. But... When it comes to a responsibility to stand before God one day, at the end of Hebrews, it says uh, to obey your leaders is because they're going to have to give an account for your souls. Okay, what is the job of a pastor? It's to, to help someone grow spiritually. So if we don't know that someone's really committed to our church, then it's not that we don't want to see them grow spiritually. Of course we do. But, but would it be wise to spend more time investing in those that haven't articulated that? Does that make sense? So some membership has to know like, okay, we're in this family together and we're going about the mission. So listen, if, if you haven't joined Redemption Hill in membership yet, I want to encourage you to really pray about that. To come to our next Connections class next month and, and to, to learn more about the beliefs and how we're structured and, and how we're going about this mission that God's doing among us so that you can then follow through as God leads. Okay, we're never in about putting pressure. We believe that's God's job. He leads his people. But we do want to give reasons for why we do what we do. And this is why we have church membership. Now, number two, not only join this church through pursuing membership, join a community group to grow in grace. Okay, and this is usually step one. People usually join a community group before they join the church in membership. And it just makes perfect sense, okay? Because you're, you're kind of getting to know the church more and you're building relationships more. And so in our community groups, they, they meet weekly to establish rhythms, right? And there are roughly eight to 16 people that come together to hang out, to get to know one another, maybe to have a little snack or dessert or something like that. And then we discuss the, the previous week's sermon and we have a lot of discussion questions built around the sermon to help us go deeper and actually apply the Bible to our lives. And then we pray together and we take prayer requests and what's going on, how can we pray for one another, what can we be praying for about together? And we encourage one another. 
We, 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 we want to see one another grow in the faith. So all of this that we've been talking about through Hebrews 10 is practically worked out in the context of not only what happens on Sundays, which is great, but also what happens in community groups. And listen, as we grow as a church, this is what I'm really excited about. We have more and more opportunities for people to get involved in community groups, okay? Just last year, we had five community groups. This year, we're going to have nine community groups. So I want to challenge you to, to take this interest form, okay? This was in your seat. And it, it talks about our community group kick, kickoff. It gives a little description about community groups. And then you're, what you're going to see are nine different groups with times and leaders and hosts. I'm about to introduce all these people to you. And if you have interest, I just want you to, to check the box and say, you know what? I might be interested in visiting this group and this group and this group. Check two or three. Check one if you think it really works for you. And then during the month of September, starting the week of September 8th, we are going to be relaunching our community group. So what we want to do is encourage people to visit a group that week. If you can't make it that week, go the next week. And if you want to visit two or three, again, don't feel obligated or guilty as if the first one you go to, you have to stick with, all right? There may be some really awkward people in that group and you may not want to go back, all right? So if you come to my group, that's probably how you'll feel. Um, but check it out. And then if another group, either works with your work schedule or is closer geographically, then visit a couple different groups and see which one works best. But the idea, I mean, how are we going to live out the one another commands if we reduce the Christian life to once a week? So listen, at Redemption Hill, I need to, I need to wind this thing down, all right? At Redemption Hill, we try to make it very, very simple, all right? Very, very simple. We say, hey, let's worship together on Sunday. Let's get involved in a community group and do life together. And then you know what? As pastors, we don't really give a rip what you do with the rest of your week. Actually, we really do care what you do with the rest of the week. But the point is, all right, the point is we want you to come on Sunday, get involved in the community group, and then be go a mission, be, just go and be a missional Christian who's doing life together with each other throughout your week, however you want to do it. Does that make sense? We're not saying, hey, come on Friday night, be there on Tuesday morning. You know, I mean, we throw in, we sprinkle in some opportunities. We get, we're, we're active, we're doing things. But the staples of Redemption Hill are Sundays and community. You get it? I hope I've made the plea strong enough from Hebrews 10. Check a group, get involved, visit, have a blast, grow in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and how it encourages us and specifically day to get involved in life together and encourage one another. And God, I pray that uh, this wouldn't be like a, you know, arousing kind of final exhortation from Tanner, but, but that your spirit would really convince us uh, of the value of not only having a right relationship with you, but a vibrant relationship, a thriving relationships with others in, in your family. So God, I pray that maybe for some that need to move forward with our church and, and, and pursue church membership, God, I pray that you would just say, yes to them and they could go for it. And Lord, I pray that we would have the vast majority of people in this room and those that are not here this Sunday would come and get involved in a community group so that they might grow in you and bring glory to your great name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.